Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 105. My guest today is Kurt Willems, who is a guy I've followed for years and have become friends with, and I'm so glad to welcome him to the show. Actually, I also need to say that thanks to you, this is the very first episode where a transcription of the audio is available. Many of you will have heard I was working my way up to 70 patrons so that I could start providing transcribed audio, and that is now done. So this episode, uh, you can go hit the show notes and you'll find the text transcription. I'm going to be working as well on the back catalog and updating everything, providing transcriptions for everything going forward. So thank you to everybody who joined my Patreon and made that possible. So my guest today is Kurt Willems. Kurt is a pastor, a podcaster, and a theologian. He lives in Seattle. His new book is called Echoing Hope, How the Humanity of Jesus Redeems Our Pain. Kurt is like this delightful blend of academic, pastoral, and then deep, like spiritual practice, spiritual formation. So we talk today all about how Jesus meets us in our brokenness and leads us through the traumas of our life, renewing our humanity in the process. And of course, we go all over the place and talk about free will and evil and resurrection and everything else. So, so I'm glad you're here. And whoever you are, I think you'll find something special today. Kurt, this is so fun. I am so thrilled that I get to have you on the show today and kind of introduce you to, to my listeners, some of whom will be familiar with you already. But, uh, you know, just when we talked last time, I was like, man, I feel like I've been orbiting you for a while and you've been such like a, a beacon of hope in my own journey. So I it just it means a lot to me that mm. I get to share uh, your wisdom, your story with with my folks here. So thanks for making wow. time. Wow, man. And the feeling's mutual. In fact, what depending on how the timing works out between my interview and yours, uh, we I have an interview with you that I get to share. That I honestly, um, I walked away from our last conversation just with a sense of the gentleness of the spirit. Like it was so good. Um, and so I the feeling is definitely mutual, bro. I'm, I'm so happy to be able to do this and grateful for the opportunity, really. Oh, thanks, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, uh, when you, when we spoke last, you said to me, oh yeah, um, by the way, I've got a book coming out soon. And I was like, oh, great. And within, before you had a chance to say anything about the book, my brain immediately went to uh, all these Pauline topics uh -huh, uh -huh. and like the rapture and women in ministry and all these yeah. different things that I associate with Kurt Willems. Uh, and and like the nonviolence, all the different mm -hmm. the different bits and pieces that where you have been so impactful, and well, you've given me permission, right? Like because I think yeah. what happened in my life was that as I was coming out of kind of deconstruction and and starting to find my own voice and starting to find language for all the different pieces of my puzzle, you were out here six months to a year, five years ahead of me in different ways. And I was like, oh, okay, yes, this is a this is permission. <laughs> this is this is helpful. This yeah. I'm not crazy. Hmm. So then you're like, yeah. So my book is about uh, hope and suffering. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, sure. Oh yeah, why not? Why not? That's good. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've, been, yeah. I've been reading through it, and and I'm and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, oh, so that's I'm, great, I'm man. Pumped. But I'd love to hear uh, kind of the journey where it came from. Um, mm -hmm. what, what propelled you to to start putting these words to page? 
Yeah. Wow. What a what a cool a cool just synopsis of yeah the way God has used my online ministry in your life and um, you know certainly my journey has been a lot uh, about writing about things that I see as um, just culturally and evangelicalism just things that we were given that were wrong yeah. or or weren't the best option or there's a better path here or there's more space here depending on the issue and that's how I got my start in blogging back in like 2010 2011 and uh you know those were good years they were definitely deconstructing various ideas i had a different deconstruction than some people do today i mean my deconstruction has always been thoroughly rooted in maybe i read scripture wrong for some people deconstruction goes way beyond that maybe scripture is wrong or maybe mm -hmm. scripture isn't authoritative that's not been my journey it's been about saying okay if i believe this book or these this library of books and letters etc point to jesus and if i really want to take that seriously what are the things that i was handed that weren't helpful yes. and not just because they're impractical in our world but because the bible actually doesn't point that direction right. you know that so i think because of that nuanced space that i try to inhabit uh, there there have been folks who have looked to me as permission giving or oh that's what i was hoping to you know women in ministry was is one that i've done some stuff on and you know i've heard from a lot of women even like you have no idea how that just opened up space for me some who have said to really take the calling i felt i've had as a pastor and actually be that mm -hmm. not that i was the individual contributor but i was just one little slice of a a, a journey you know and and that's just one example of the kinds of areas that you mentioned earlier and as I've come through my own process and, you know, I've done a lot of that, that work of deconstruct, reconstruct, point people forward while anchoring ourselves still in the tradition. Um, I have moved over the years, I think, into a much more spiritual formation focused sense of self. Mm -hmm. um, while also at the same time, continuing to lean into the academic side of myself and the pastoral side. So, so what happens in a book like this is you get all three of those parts of me, the academic side, the pastoral side, and ultimately the, I hope to lead people in a formative journey with Jesus side. And that has been so hard. I'll admit so hard to integrate because <laughs> For years, I was so fascinated by, look at these crazy historical, contextual, Greekish, whatever arguments. It's so cool. Like, look at, like, it's so <laughs> clear or whatever. And, and that's neat. And that's helpful for people that, you know, an audience that really cares about those things are either armchair theologian types or... Guilty as um, yeah, of course. And I love, <laughs> I love speaking, speaking into that community, uh, pastor types that are wrestling with stuff. Um, even some people that have more education than me, but appreciate the thoughts I provoke, you know? And so, so that's certainly still a joy, but along the way, I realized that if that's all I'm about, that's not, that's a voice that I have online that isn't true of the experience I'm having with God. Mm. I, I want the experience I'm having with God to be integrative. And so learning to find that pastoral voice that I would have with a person in my church community uh, and, and also being attuned to 
the spiritual formation formation stream and, and trying to bring those together. This book was my experiment in that. And, and to be really frank, I, you know, I've done a few of these interviews. I don't think I've said this, so this will be unique to you. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, the first draft, which is, by the way, the only draft my wife read. She surprised me. I didn't know. She surprised me and read. And she's not like someone who goes after nonfiction all the time and just reads like crazy. Like she took my first draft of the PDF that I turned into the publisher that I then got like so much feedback on how to make it more human. Um, and <laughs> she read that thing from start to finish. She walked in, she had tears in her eyes. She was so pumped on it. And, you know, my wife is a good gauge of like, am I, am I speaking to normal people? And that's not a knock mm -hmm. on her as much as she's just been so helpful in that. For sure. And I mean, she's highly educated. She's got a master's in special education, but when it comes to this niche area, she wants to know how is it going to help my life be better? Yeah, right. And she was able to see those things, but at the same time, I was able to kind of hear from her, hear from my publisher and realize I've got to find that pastoral, therapeutic, quirky, inviting voice that it exists. I just got to figure out how to massage that further into the pages here and be willing to sacrifice some academic sounding content in the process, which I did. Mm -hmm. uh, several of these chapters that are high, have some high level stuff used to have higher level stuff. And I'm actually <laughs> planning on planning on doing uh, a video, like a just kind of an uncut raw video on each chapter where I just say, here's what the chapter used to be. Here's some things I cut out. Here's some things to consider if you want to just take next steps. So, so that's been my process. Mm. And man, it's been a good, the creative side of integrating that in a book has been so life-changing that I think when I come to book two, whatever that is, and I don't know, I keep trying to figure it out and nothing is clear. Uh, I'll be able to step in with that voice with a little bit more clarity and uh, that that excites me, even though I have no idea what the content of that book will be at this point. So that's a ramble, but hopefully it gives you a picture of me a little bit. Well, I love it. Thank you for that. And it's actually, it's interesting the way you sum that up because that, the kind of pastoral, academic, uh, therapeutic uh, is, is, is what, it's what you get. Uh, it's what mm. I'm getting reading it. Yeah. And, and yeah. what was very interesting is, is lacking from that is memoir, because I think mm. certainly in in the, the last 10 years of publishing, uh, every book, every Christian book that I've read on suffering is either a, a very deep theological treatise mm -hmm. or is a memoir. Yeah. Now yeah. the, the, the other kind of exception to that would be um, Pete Grieg, uh, the 24 seven prayer guy who I, I have a book on my shelf that I plan to read by him called how to pray. So yeah, no, cool. He, he, yeah. he is like, because he's not North American and not within this kind of standard evangelical charismatic context, his whole starting point is different. And so he's yeah. got a book out recently called God on mute, which is a oh. really beautiful uh, work on suffering. It's driven by stories, countless, countless stories, but it's not mm. his, it's not like his memoir. It's more like a, a thousand and one vignettes. But anyway, what was so, what is striking to me about your work is that it feels personal without uh, being 
like a personal memoir of Kurt Willem's life. And that's like, memoirs are fine. I love memoirs too. But this was just notably different. And it was like very intentional. And I, and I felt this balance of like, I'm being mm. equipped to understand and I'm being invited to see Jesus. I'm being invited to reimagine scripture. And, and I'm being given some, some practical therapeutic tools that I can use on myself that I can mm. use to heal, that I can also use to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like actually just, you know, just before we started recording, you were telling me that you recently received a diagnosis for an issue that mm-hmm. had been plaguing you for a while. Yeah. And I was just thinking about that in light of your book, how, how important and freeing it is when mm. we receive a diagnosis. When it moves us out of that, like, am I crazy? Is there something that's uniquely and undefinably broken about Mm -hmm. me? And it felt like what you've done, at least in the first part of the book, because I haven't, I haven't read very far into it, but, but in the first part, at least I felt like you were offering a really hope filled diagnosis, like Mm -hmm. everything is not okay. Maybe, maybe you haven't paid attention. Like the world is really hurting and wounded and that is not your fault and sometimes god feels really distant and sometimes god is really hard to spot in the details of our lives and if you've ever felt that you're okay yeah like that's what i felt like you were telling me and i was like yeah i need to take a deep breath right now this is good yeah oh my gosh you know, one of the one of the things I do, and it's good that you mentioned like that first part of the book, is I try to really, in the first four chapters, I'm trying to really say, look, the world is supposed to be one way. It's a different way. I've experienced the different way. You know, I, I share a couple of stories. So so I, I make clear, like I, I say, look, this isn't a memoir, but I'm gonna share anecdotal situations in my life that hopefully connect these points together. And so I share uh, a bit of my trauma at the beginning of um, the book. And and really in doing that, what I'm trying to do is say, you're not crazy on the one hand, right? Like, like of course, everything is falling apart. Of course, this world's broken. Of course, you, you feel disconnected and distant from God. Like that's that's real. And, and let's start with what's real. And then at the same time, can we can we unpack God's desire, God's invitation, God's um, longing, and do that through the person of Jesus, especially by emphasizing that he was human too. Mm-hmm. And that's good news, not bad news. It's good news that Jesus was human and is human. And it's good news that we are human and being human is good. So let's get the narrative out of our mind that your humanity is a limitation. Your humanity is your destiny. And Mm -hmm. that's really the foundational place that I want to start from because we have such a negative view of human nature, physical bodies, all of that, that we have recycled in various forms of Christianity. And it's not just evangelicalism that did this. I mean, various forms of Christianity have done this at various points along the way. And what we're seeing positively is a reclaiming of our image-bearing potential. 
you know, people are starting to see as they read scripture that part of a world that's very good is human beings created in God's image. And part of a world that will be very good again is human beings being renewed in God's image that starts mm. today and eventually through resurrection will be complete. And so let's lean into that. Let's lean into the Jesus who shows us exactly what it could look like for a human to do it perfectly. That word has baggage, but that's the best word I can come up with. Like, if you want to know the kind of human you're destined to become, look at Jesus. No, you're not a Palestinian Jew necessarily. You're not a man necessarily. You're not a first century person, probably, or for sure, right? Like, but you are human and Jesus wants you to be even more so. And that's the invitation of the gospel. Come on, man. Yes. You wrote, uh, I wrote this down. Contrary to what many of us feel, sin is against our humanity, not a part of it. Ooh, I said that. You said that. Those are your that's words. That's pretty good, huh? <laughs> it is good. Because I was like, I w- and, and I'm so with you, right? And I've, and I've done, as you know, like I've done my own work, my own writing on this, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but everybody comes at it with a different lens. And the way you said that, like sin, and you know, you're talking about shalom and you're talking about peace and, and the way that God has created things to work mm-hmm. and sin opposing that stuff and sin not being a part of it. I'm just like, man, it. I think the programming runs deep for some of us, mm. right? That That we are wretched that sin is all that we can expect mm-hmm. that um mm-hmm. yeah can i wonder if keep keep talking about this just oh, just man. keep talking there's so much here oh my gosh uh you know i didn't in the book i don't go into original sin and theories about that but um you know i think that the to- a toxic version of the doctrine of original sin really lingers large for people who grew up in Christianity in a lot of situations. And yet, I don't know. I mean, I look at Jesus and if if Jesus is what humanity is supposed to be, and we get this throughout the New Testament. I mean, this isn't just like a, ooh, what if Jesus is the kind of human we're supposed to be? It's actually pretty explicit if we look for it. Then, Then, oh my gosh, why would we ever attribute sin to our human nature? Sin is the disruption of what it means to be human. You know, we have this phrase in, uh, in, in, in just casual cultural conversation. I had a really bad day. It was awful, you know, and I, I flipped someone off because I got cut off on the road. I just feel like a terrible human being or whatever. And then your friend says, oh, don't worry about it. You're only human. Well, we've like taken the most beautiful like picture of who we're supposed to be and we've attributed it to our lack instead of our abundance. Mm. And the way of Jesus is about saying your humanity is your abundance. Your lack is the thing that is holding you back from discovering more of that abundance. And and Jesus says, let me liberate you from the shame that holds you back. Let me liberate you from the, the, the man, so much, the trauma, and not not make it magically disappear, but let me help you step into both your past traumas and the traumas that will fa- you'll face in a very hard world of various levels and various kinds. And let me equip you to stand in those situations, feeling, feeling the full impact of them, while also saying, Jesus has an invitation in this for me to become more like him. 
and Jesus would never want this for me. But Jesus is so good that Jesus will take the broken stuff, the stuff that is against God's will in the world. All suffering, in my opinion, is against God's will in the world. God is so good, so clever, so magnificent, so beautiful, so kind, so generous that God still says, even where there's junk, I'm going to reclaim it and reshape it. And it's going to be formative for your flourishing in some way, even if I can't give you all of the things I wish I could right now in a world like this. So mm. yes, you lost someone to disease. That sucks. God, God cries over that. God feels that. And so God says, okay, as much as I want to bring that person back to you or erase that memory or take away those scars before the resurrection, that's just not on the table. But what is on the table is I'm going to walk with you with deep, courageous empathy. And I'm going to show you that I get what you're walking through and I can show you a path forward through it. To me, that's the gift of seeing the Jesus in the New Testament who is human. And so I came to this book and no, I didn't write about Paul. I didn't write about Revelation or any of these hot topics because I said, man, where have I encountered God? How can I frame that for people in ways that are creative and interesting? And how can I unpack my own pain as, as part of the therapeutic process in my own journey? And so that's what people are going to see in these pages is some of those things. And I don't know, man, I, I don't think I'm fully human. I think it's going to take a resurrection for me to feel like I am fully, fully human. And that's not a negative thing. That's about invitation to process. And, uh, I'm okay with that because maybe tomorrow I'll be just a bit more human than I was today. Yes. And Jesus says, you can do it. You can be that person. Yes. Come on. Oh man. My spirit's soaring, bro. Oh, praise I, the Lord. I've been, I've been doing this Bible study with, um, you know, the open table conference guys, John McMurray and John Baer, Brad Jersak, Paul Young. Yeah. I've heard Jeff of that. Mordling, yeah. A bunch of really fun kind of theologians and, and thinkers. Yeah. John Baer is this Orthodox scholar and, and priest. And one of the things he says, even saying to us is, you know, you know, dying to self, choosing to die to self is an, is a paradox, right? Like how can you intentionally choose to not make intentional choice <laughs> to, yeah, to die to yeah. yourself. So, so he's like, we lean into, into this Christ. We lean in to our resurrection life. And, mm -hmm. and that's our part for here. But ultimately we've got to trust that he is going to resurrect us from the dead. Oh, uh, amen. And wow. that's the completion wow. of our humanity is his work, not yes. our work. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And it's very important to frame it that way. People could hear the language of you can become more fully human tomorrow than you are today as though I lack something today or I'm not enough today or I'm a dehumanized mess or some weird shame-inducing message. And that's certainly not what's happening, um, what I desire from what I'm saying. Rather, it's I may feel like I can't quite figure all this out and it's okay. God sees me as beloved anyway not in spite of, but because <laughs> that's enough. And so, yes, it will take a resurrection to fully get that experience of humanity like Jesus has that experience of humanity. But man, we get to enjoy the early fruits of that through the, the power and presence of the spirit of Jesus. And that that is an invitation away from shame, not towards it, yes. away from lack um, and towards abundance. Yes. Okay. One of the stories that you 
one of the things that you that you brought out early in the book that relates to this that that I'll just share a little bit of this weird quandary that I feel like I've been formed yeah. into. Okay, because you're very honest about the times that Jesus feels absent. Yeah, both both in our personal stories when we've experienced horrific things as well as in kind of the therapeutic healing process, when we go back to try to find maybe through mm. like a, a, the Ignatian experience, where yeah. was Jesus in the story? And then of course, in the, the wider world, when we look around and we're like, where is God in a pandemic? Yeah. Like, all, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Like you're very, very honest about that. And I appreciate that. In, in my mm. upbringing, and I, I don't know, I, I don't want to say that I, that I was explicitly taught this, but but one of the things that happened in my own piecing together of the bits and pieces that I was taught was a I, I was given this kind of similar Ignatian practice. You know, I was taught fairly. I was taught as a teenager to seek the Lord and, and find the presence of God within painful memories. And that was wow. kind of a, a normative practice within the tradition that I grew up in. And so I, I'm huh. thankful for that. However, you can only teach a teenager so much. Yeah. And it seems that what happened in my framework was that if we couldn't find Jesus, well, that was our fault. Mm -hmm. If we couldn't see Jesus, that was a product of just how sinful we were. Because, you know, we've really been blinded to the presence Mm -hmm. of God. And, 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 And it's this weird double bind. Because on the one hand, I feel like, I was, we were taught, you know, God is with you. God is with you. God is, God loves you. God is for you. But also like sin is really serious and sin separates you from God and, and God, you know, like, and like, you're now really tainted. And especially if you can't find, and so it's almost kind of like so many feelings, (laughs) right? So (laughs) many feelings. And, and I'm still working through some of that and unpacking it with my therapist. I mean, he said to me, I can't say on this show exactly what he said to me because of, uh, because of the strong language. But basically uh-huh. he said to me, there you were, Jonathan, just starting to come into your confidence as a wonderful human being. And some of that evangelical purity teaching came along and messed you up. Oh, man, man. I mean, even the narrative of being separated from God, being separated from God's love. Oh, I mean, have they not read Romans 8? Like there's nothing, like nothing. Oh, wow. So wow. I think, I think obviously you can respond to that however you like, but, but one of the things that struck me was how honest you were about God's absence. You know, you walked us through a story of your mm-hmm. own trauma and your response to it through the assignation process. Jesus, show me where you are in the story. And I fully expected you to be like, and Jesus was here blocking yeah. the blows. But you're like, I'm struggling to find Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, that. oh, yeah, that feels way more honest. Wow. Wow. Thank you for, for sharing that. And that is honest. Um, you know, I, I think more often than not, when we're experiencing trauma or trying to reframe past trauma, how, how the heck do you find Jesus in the worst of situations? You know, I, I just look, it's hard to find Jesus when things are going good. You know what I mean? Like life is normative. Things are good. I just got the promotion at work or whatever, whatever is just like 
my wife actually thinks I'm cool. My kids are like awesome. You know, whatever, whatever is lighting your fire that week, you know, finding, finding Jesus when we're on highs is like, well, I've experienced Jesus through my wife. Who's been kind to me this week. Well, great. I, I affirm that impulse. Absolutely. But you know, it, Jesus isn't present physically. So, so like it is already hard depending on your predisposition towards God because of how you were raised, depending on um, your personality type and how you connect with God more naturally. Are you, are you more experiential by nature? Are you more analytical by nature? I mean, all of this stuff on a regular, positive, decent day, finding Jesus, connecting with Jesus, very hard. You mm -hmm. add a layer of complexity through pain, suffering, trauma, why, why, why questions. Man, it, it, it's no wonder that Jesus is hard for people to experience at times. Mm. And yet, he does show up sometimes. And so what do we do with that? What, what is the difference between those moments where he does and doesn't show up? The honest answer to that is no one really knows. But if the biblical tradition and the experience of many other followers of Jesus who have gone before us or maybe a few steps ahead of us is true. Somehow God can be experienced. God can be found, but it's not always on our convenient sort of terms. It's, it's messy. It's surprising. It's shocking. It's out of nowhere. And then it's silence for a long time, you know, and, and can we be content with a God who is willing to be silent most of the time? while at the same time being vocal a lot of the time as well, but in all kinds of very nuanced, complex ways. And so, so that's, that's a bit of a ramble to say that let's just be honest about the fact that when we suffer, it's not like, oh, and Jesus is there, and so I feel better, and life is good. That's a bunch of crap. That's fake. What's real is you're suffering. You want to believe Jesus is there, but why in the heck would you be suffering if Jesus was really there in the first place? real. And then we, then we have to break down the kind of world we live in. Then we have to break down the complexities of this age in tension with the age to come. You know, there's a lot of things we have to start sitting with. And yet at the end of it all, somehow I believe Jesus is still good. Jesus is for us. Jesus wants to see people flourish through suffering and beyond it. Mm. And, and let me say to the listener and to you that that comes through in your writing that belief, mm. that, that hope, mm. right? Like the book is echoing hope. And because I, I know <laughs> yeah. some, sometimes when yeah. a theologian says, you know, something like what you just said, you know, ultimately we have to hold it in, in the tension between blah, blah, blah. It can feel cold, right? It can feel oh, like, yeah. well, thank yeah. you for that cosmic truth while I watch my child succumb to this disease. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But, yeah. but that's not the way you're, you feel. Not at all. Um, oh, not at all. And it comes not through very, all. very clearly, the, hmm. the embodied and practical hope. How, oh, amen. how have That's you good. come to that? How, like, what? why Why are you a person who embodies hope? Who? So I, I experienced a lot of trauma as a child. I, uh, when I was a kid, my parents divorced really early. And um, by the time I was about five, my mom had a boyfriend who was abusive, alcoholism, all that stuff. So from ages five to 11, I, when I was with my mom, which was most of the time, lived in a lot of fear, uh, 
experienced physical violence and certainly emotional violence on a regular basis and physical violence whenever it could or could not, you know, it just pop in. You wouldn't even know when it was going to happen. And man, that re what I had to do as I like fell in love with Jesus in a fresh way as a teenager, you know, several years after all of that was over during those early formative years as a teenager where I, I gave my life like that whole like recommitment thing that some people go through. Like I thoroughly had that. It led to a call to ministry. It led to a lot of really beautiful things. And during those years, and I would say the years leading to us moving to Seattle back in 2013, that whole time, my approach to my past pain was that happened over there. Jesus had a purpose for it. And I can now reframe what happened back there in light of how it's equipped me to be a different kind of person. That was my whole framework. And so I had healed from it. I had, I'd been restored. I'd been um, lifted out of the bad and now life was going to be good. And you know what? The truth is uh, I, I used to believe this myth that because of Jesus, all the bad stuff would stay back there. And what I realized is the way that the pain crept into my own life and how I dealt with my marriage, how I postured myself in stress, uh, in ministry stress, in um, family relationships where things would pop up that I thought I'd, you know, had been dealt with already. Of course, that's their stuff to share. So I never, I never share on behalf of others um, without permission, but it would all pop up. And I'm like, what the heck, God? Like, I thought we, we'd walk this through and, now I'm in my mid twenties and I'm, I'm victorious. I am walking through, I'm the testimony, the story of a survivor. And now I can tell other people who are struggling, you can survive too. You know, and that was the, the whole framing to be really honest with you. I think that's actually was beautiful, but it was the stage I was in then. Mm. And what happened as we moved to Seattle and I started noticing the ways that my past pain, both church pain and childhood pain, I would say, started to creep into how I live my life daily. I struggled to be present to my daughter. My little tiny toddler of a daughter sitting in front of me and my brain is saying, get off the couch and play with her. And my body is saying, you can't, you can't, you're frozen, you're stuck. And so being present started being a problem. And that sent me into a therapy office at the same time I had um, developed a relationship with a spiritual director. Just all these things came together at the right time during the early years here in Seattle for us. And all of a sudden, as my therapist said, it's, it's kind of like a spiral. You, you know, he said something to the effect of, to paraphrase, Kurt, your, your process of healing was one sort of level of the spiral, but what you're being invited to is to keep going down the spiral and circling around your trauma in ways that eventually, not fully, because that's not possible in this life, but eventually get you to a place where you're coming through that trauma with a lot more honesty about the, the evil that it was, uh, a lot more honesty about the impact that it continues to bear on your heart, mind, and body, and an invitation to, instead of simply reframing it, to reintegrate your whole person into the kind of person who is postured to love God in a new way, to love your family in a new way, and to love yourself in a new way. And that journey, that more recent journey, 
has really given birth to the kind of themes I explore here in the book, for sure. We'll take a quick break so I can just say thanks to everybody who supports the show. This show is made possible by my supporters on Patreon.com. You can give monthly or annually. And my latest supporters are Ginger and Margie. Thank you so much, Ginger and Margie, for signing up. And thank you to everybody else who chips in, whether you're giving $3 a month or $50 a month. You are a blessing to me, and you make these words that go out to everybody possible. So thank you so much. Friends, if you're not currently supporting the show, would you consider it? You can go to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle to sign up. You can give monthly or annually. $3 a month will get you in. It'll also give you access to the B-sides of the show, which you'll hear about at the end. Thanks, everyone, once again. Let's get back to Kurt. Mm, thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Has that journey, you know, inward and and with those parts of your own story... How has that changed your your theology or or how has it affected your your relationship with God? That's beautiful. Um, you know, I was already on a theological trajectory that I think complements the emotional work that I've done, almost as if it prepared me to do that courageously. So so I stepped into that office with less Bible baggage than maybe others would. Um, I didn't believe already at that point that God caused my pain, that God wanted my pain, that God had a purpose for my pain, that all things work together in the Calvinistic vision of God's, <laughs> you know, what God wants, uh, but rather that God is in unique partnership with humankind and humankind has been endowed with choices. And when you get enough human beings and enough non-human beings making choices every single day, the web of free will um, intersects with God's perfect will for each human being. And so knowing that God didn't want me to hurt, but that God was inviting me to name what was real, which was the hurt, and then to walk with Jesus through it, that changed everything about my experience of God. Um, I moved from a deep commitment to, well, as we've already talked about, like my ideas to integrating those small, occasional parts of myself that were very experiential. You know, I'd have this deep moment with Jesus or this deep season with Jesus. And then it'd be so like high level intellectual that I'd feel guilty after a while of not having those integrative sort of like experiential charismatic slash contemplative moments or whatever you might call them. And I think what's come out the other side for me has been this sort of, yeah, the integration is the word I'm going to keep coming back to where, look, I don't have deep, powerful moments with God every single day of my life, but I want to be awake to the possibility every single day of my life. And I try to be, I'm mm -hmm. not always, I, I fail. I have shadow sides that I'm still wrestling with. I, uh, Man, I'll tell you what, anxiety is still real in my life. And, and so um, the old Jesus would have been a source of freeing me from anxiety. This renewed sense of Jesus is walking with me when I'm anxious and it being okay that I'm anxious and letting it impact me. And then what, what kind of person am I as I move beyond it? So that, that to me is, uh, man, just massively 
freeing. And, um, you know, this book is about an unfinished, uh, an unfinished me and a beautifully invitational Jesus who's okay with it. So that's, yeah, that's been my experience. Mm, thank you. I love that juxtaposition of the, the Jesus who frees mm -hmm. and the Jesus who walks beside. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that, mm -hmm. that, and, and coming, you know, closing the loop to what you said earlier, like those, those two Jesuses of, of all the many Jesuses we may discover in our life. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are real and mm -hmm. good in our, in those seasons. Right. Right. Like when you're, when you're 16, 17, even in your twenties, like I, I feel like what we need to be told is, yeah, you can get free from this. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I don't think you could have told me at that age, you're going to, it's possible that that this thing will hang around, but you will learn. I'm like, no, nope, yeah. just get me the hell out of here. That's right. Like, right. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I didn't have, I couldn't, I couldn't, that wouldn't have been good news to me at that time. Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, it's, <laughs> this is a terrible analogy and reeks of purity culture. So I forgive me, listener already in advance, but it's kind of like that, that old myth of, you know, once you get married, you're not going to have lust problems anymore because you can totally. have sex, right? Totally. And it's those those mythical futures that if I have this, then that is going to be so much easier that eventually you you find have to be purged. Uh, and they're helpful for a season, but not helpful forever. I, dude, you're nailing that. Yeah. So eight or nine years ago, I, I was coming out, out of a the first season in my life of really severe depression and anxiety. Mm. I got major workplace burnout and panic yeah. attacks and the whole bit. And it was new for me and terrifying. Mm. And I remember one day, like, God, you've got to fix me. God, you've got to put mm -hmm. me back together. God, you've got to heal all my broken mind. And I, and I felt quite clearly this, this prompting from the spirit, Jonathan, what if I didn't? And it wasn't like a rhetorical, it was, it was what what would you have to do if I didn't just fix you? Wow. And and so I said I felt like, well, I, I would have to rely on you every moment of every day just to function. Yeah. You know, and as I answered the question, I was like, oh. <laughs> uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Apart from me, you can do nothing, says Jesus. That's, dude, like, that that sounds. Oh, it sounds so much like Jesus, though. Oh, yeah. Dang it. And yes, all at the same time. Wow. Right? Wow. Yeah, seriously. Wow. You, th thank, you, thank you for that again. You, you, you mentioned non-humans. Hmm. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, what does that mean in your, to you? Ah, well, it means every molecule in, in creation for sure, but... It, it also, yeah, I'm one of those people who still believes in angels and demonic forces and a quasi-personal devil, you know, I don't, uh, I think even in the book, I say, I'm going to say the Satan with a cap, with a lowercase s, just so you know, it's a title. So I'm not <laughs> like that pitchfork dude, like is out there somewhere to get us, but there, there are these real forces that are have some semblance of personhood, I suppose, that I believe are making choices every day. You know, in the in the Hebrew Bible, sometimes they're called the council of the gods, and they become these forces that 
are some, sometimes framed as big and cosmic, like powers and principalities, and sometimes the minions of those creatures, the these little demons that are just hurting people, especially marginalized people. You, you see that in the Bible, that the, the people that are at the margins are the people that are often most afflicted, not because of sin, but because of the vulnerability that, and the, the negative kind of vulnerability that they've been um, forced into by empire or by religiosity that ignores the the heavy boot of empire when it comes to the most vulnerable. And so, so yeah, I I really have this sense that when you pair human choices, which uh, I playfully say in the book, there's like fun little studies that talk about there being 35,000 choices a human makes every single day. I don't know that that's actually accurate. I you know I'm not gonna like stake my my flag in the ground on that, but it's fun, it's playful, it's interesting. And so when you like add up 35,000 choices a day, you get 700 and something trillion for every human on the earth. If you collectively, it's in the book, I don't remember math, you know. Actually, here's how writing works. If you're if you're an author and going to go traditional route ever, listen to this. I had 35,000, right? But then I had like an old number for the global population. So when this book went to copyright, they're like, hey, that's really great, but we're going to change these numbers because there's a new study out. And I'm all, what? You're amazing. You know, so I, anyway, I don't know what the right number is, but it's in the book because people fact checked it for me. But um, here's my point. You pair all of those choices with the real situation of, you know, this heavenly sphere of reality, however we might talk about that, where demonic forces and angelic forces also have free will to make choices that affect real world things in ways that we can never fully understand. That is a big web that God has ingrained into the fabric of creation rather than creating a system of robotics where humankind and even the angelic creatures are pre-programmed to be basically morally good. Mm. Uh, God was willing to take the risk on basically morally not good all in all situations so that people could really have freedom conditioned by this web of free will. So, so in a, I'm getting too philosophical, but here, here's the basic point. Um, if angels, demons, the Satan, human beings, if we all are making these choices all of the time, my free will right now in this moment has been conditioned by the way those forces have shaped where I was born where I was um, given privileges, all of the stuff in my story. There's shaping, there's things that are beyond free will that are caused by the web of free will. And then there's the, within that system, I'm gonna make choices every single day. I make a choice to brush my teeth or forget to brush my teeth or, you know, every little choice shapes how I navigate that. And God has decided to say, this is the world I want right now, but, Anytime I can break through the web of choices where there is a, a space, there is a hole in that web where I can heal, I do. No wonder some people can get healed and some don't, and we pray the same way for both. Well, there's factors perhaps that we can't quite get our minds and hearts around that if God were to push all the way through, there'd be something going on to use language that's not really the right language, but it sounds cooler, in the space-time continuum, you know, that would involve God being coercive where God has chosen not to be. Sure. So 
So there's all of these things that go on. And really, if that's true, and this is honestly one chapter in the book where I really try and help frame some of this. If that's true, um, then God knows certain things could happen, but free will says God gives space for other things to maybe happen instead. Yeah. And God responds perfectly with those resources, however God can in the process to bring as much good as possible. So that's a weird philosophical rant that went all kinds of different directions. But if you imagine all of those choices being made and then God having to be all love, all good, navigating the world towards the day where God says, okay, those choices are now going to be interrupted by final coming, resurrection, restoration of the cosmos, all that stuff. Then yeah, we have a world that's messy by design, um, but not by God's ultimate will for it, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, that's thank you. That's really great. I love that. And I, and I and I don't know that this is important for every listener, but for some of us it is, right? Like, mm-hmm. and and for every reader, like especially yeah. especially I think those of us who grew up in a charismatic healing tradition or or yeah. or any sense where God um, has been promised any word of faith, mm-hmm. even kind of mm-hmm. leaning into prosperity. Like for for some of us, we were really kind of promised this bill of goods regarding yeah. what God will do. And while we've had to journey with that stuff, it's God's goodness was hinged upon the delivery of some of those things. And yeah. so it's it's been complicated for us to uncouple uh, the guarantee of healing from the goodness of God, which I want to hold on to, mm-hmm. you know, and, and obviously if you've been raised in a, in a different tradition, then you may have, you, this may not be a, yeah. a thing, a thing yeah. for you, but I'm really glad you, that you brought that yeah. up. I love, I love the way you explained that even just my, my brain was going, isn't that fascinating coming back to the Jesus, you know, the Jesus who sometimes frees us, the Jesus who walks with us, how that interfaces philosophically and in reality with this web of actors and agency where there are times where God, there are certain factors and forces like gravity and time that we're usually not going to push against that we may desire that we may desire to push against. And we may say, God, can we roll the clock back on that natural disaster? Mm -hmm. God can. And and some of those uh, dynamics and systems are going to just be things that God walks through with us. That's right. But That's there right. are other dynamics and systems that God opposes, right? And, and that some that God opposes sovereignly and breaks in like we see at the cross mm. and God defeats and That's disarms. Exactly right. mm-hmm. And then somewhere in the middle, maybe, I don't know, if you're visualizing the continuum that I'm visualizing, God says, okay, so racism and these different systems of oppression we're going to disarm and destroy through your work. Like, like yeah. my work is going to be embodied in you guys mm-hmm. and I'm going to walk with you and we're going to free people from this. Like it's both. And yeah. Um, oh, dude. So, so that's where I was going when you were saying all that stuff in my head. So, so thank oh, you. That's beautiful. Lovely. I mean, it makes me again, I alluded to this verse earlier, but I'm I'm thoroughly convinced, uh, and this is nerdy based on Greek words, but but I'm thoroughly convinced. If you look at the NIV footnote in Romans eight twenty eight, where it says um, instead of all things work together for good, 
uh, it says something like, in all things, God works with those for the good. And wow. and and it's partnership language in the context of, you know, a few verses earlier, Paul's like, creation is groaning, but it's going to find freedom when the sons and daughters of God find freedom, which is the resurrection and the renewal of creation stuff. Um, and then and then God says, look, by the power and groaning spirit within you, you're invited into partnership into the spaces you're talking about where the world groans. So the uh, the hurting spaces of racism and and these are invitations to do the work together, empowered a different way. And if this book would have been on Paul, I'm sure it would have had a whole section on this particular concept and this framing. Um, and so, dude, I'm I'm right there with you. And and there are times, uh, you know, not everything. God does intervene in certain ways, but there, uh, that's a mystery as well. But um, yes, so this isn't a hands-off God. This is a God who uh, I prefer a God of empathy more than I prefer a God of control. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the the reframe when it comes yes. to this issue of why suffering happens. Yes. Friends, uh, Kurt's book comes out. Uh, very soon. It's called Echoing Hope, How the Humanity of Jesus Redeems Our Pain. Uh, Kurt, I w- I'd love for you to pray for us. Uh, first, tell us um, where folks can follow you and, and jump on on everything that you're doing. Wow. Uh, what a fun, fun conversation. Um, yeah. So you can find me at, well, any of the social media networks, uh, Kurt Willems, K-U-R-T-W-I-L-L-E-M-S. Very hard to uh, spell those correctly, so I'll give them to you straight up. And the uh, other place, of course, you can find me is on my website, theologycurator.com. You can find my podcast there. You can find links to the book there. And if you're really interested in the book, of course, echoinghope.com will get you right there. You can check out early chapters. Um, I'm going to be posting more resources connected to the book there. A couple of films have come out about it already, a short uh, trailer and also a five and a half, six minute reflection from me. And so you're welcome to check all that out. And I'm grateful for anyone who's interested. And uh, yeah, thanks for your interest as well, my friend, and bringing me on here. Oh, my pleasure. I'd love for you to, to just to close us out in prayer, brother. Let's do it. God, sometimes we need to pause need to take a deep breath and just notice. Notice where we are. Notice that you are here. And notice that in every breath, we take in your life, your love, your gifts. And so God, even now, I pray that we can take in a, a deep soothing breath of your love. And God, I pray that we can release, release our desire to control the world, release our desire for the next thing that's finally going to fix everything, release our desire for you to magically make a messy thing picture perfect. And instead see you in all of your kindness and grace, inviting us to be freed from shame, to be formed by 
your father who declared love over you at your baptism and to be empowered by the breath of your spirit with us wherever we may go. God, we are grateful for love. We're grateful for your humanity, both in its compassion and in its raw physicality. And we ask, O oh God, that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would be with us here, now, in this moment, and beyond. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kurt. Friends, go hit the show notes if you'd like to order a copy of Kurt's book, Echoing Hope. You'll also find the transcription text there in the show notes. So if you have a friend who's hearing impaired or otherwise, if maybe they find podcasts just don't work for them, you can share this with them in a new way. So super glad that that is now possible. Also, I promised that I would explain about the B-sides once again. I have sat down already with my friend Jacob. He listened over this interview and then we kind of debriefed it. Jacob actually was, was the person who some years ago gave me a copy of the book Dark Knight of the Soul. And so we discussed uh, wrestling with our sense of God being present or absent and kind of unpacked Kurt's comments on suffering. So if you're interested in diving a little deeper into that, you'll find that B-side conversation with me and my friend Jacob on my Patreon. So you need to join up at patreon.com slash Puddle. $3 a month or $30 a year will get you in there. You'll find the B-side for this interview as well as all the other recent episodes since I launched the B-sides just a few weeks ago. And the feedback on these B-sides is really great. It sounds like a lot of you are really enjoying the kind of behind-the-scenes, raw, uncut conversations. So very, very glad to hear that. Thank you, friends, for tuning in. I'm so glad that you were here today. May grace and peace find you. May God surround you. May his presence that we know is actually everywhere. May it be a source of comfort to you. In the intangible presence, may you find a tangible love today. Much love, grace and peace. Talk to you next week.